You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, uh, for being here. Kids, uh, if you are in grades six to eight, you can head on out. I see Gemma taking the crew uh, on out to room 214, I think is the the number. there. So if you have uh, kids in that grade, uh, you can send them with Gemma. They're just through that that door. Um, My name is Keith, uh, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church as well, working alongside uh, a number of other pastors that we have here. It almost feels like there's too many to name. But let me say this, being a a pastor is the work of the people of God. Did you know that? That God has given gifts to the church, uh, and the gifts are the people of God, and he calls all of us to shepherd and to teach and to evangelize and to, 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 to follow the Spirit's leading to be the people of God. And so, uh, what, what a thing to be part of together. When we talk about being the church, it's much more than coming to a, a building to, to sing our praise to God, though that's an action that we take. But being the church is so much more. It's following the voice of the Spirit in our life to be God's people wherever we go. And I'm delighted to be part of that endeavor alongside of you. And before I begin, uh, maybe a little bit like you this morning, my, my heart is, is grieved <laughs> just with the state of our, our world, uh, with all that is happening uh, in, in, uh, in Israel and in Gaza and in Lebanon and Syria and all of these things that are mixed together. And we say, Jesus, we need you. Our world needs you. And sometimes when we sing these songs, it's like, okay, Lord, that's all well and good as we sing these songs here from this place, but, but my heart goes out to a world that is hurting and broken. And the truth of the matter is, there is only one solution, and it's Christ. It's hearts turning to him. And so to that endeavor, we, we pray and we pray. And I trust that you're praying alongside of me in that God can do amazing things, and so let's remember uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ in that part of the world, and let's remember those who don't yet know Jesus. May he be revealed, and may he be the Prince of Peace. Jesus uh, invites every one of us into the fullness of life with two simple words. He says, follow me. It's the solution to what we see in the Middle East. It's the solution to every problem that we face. He invites us into the fullness of life with two words, follow me. His invitation is for everyone. It extends to the first and the last, to sinners and saints alike. And we've been looking at people who encountered Jesus in the Bible uh, and, and how these encounters brought these living, breathing people into a greater measure of life. Life with God, because that's what happens when we actually encounter Jesus. We come alive. We come alive to God, and we come alive to the possibilities of what God might be leading us into in the rest of our life. And so, church, let me invite you to come alive 
as we encounter Jesus afresh in our text today, where we look at the story of a paralyzed man and his friends. And so turn with me to to Mark chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. Mark chapter 2, you can turn there in your pew Bible. I I don't know uh, what page it's on, but it's closer to the back than the front, uh, or you can turn in your device. Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. Hear the word of the Lord. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered, gathered in, such a lar- in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus. Only you know what you want to do in the hearts and lives of individual people in this room. Jesus, in in the text, we read that you you were preaching the word in this moment. And so, Jesus, we invite you to preach your word to us. We invite you to speak the words that call us into the fold. We are your servants. Our ears are open. Speak, for your church is listening. We pray in your name. Amen. So the scene here on this day, it it takes place in a house in Capernaum, we're told. And we're not sure which house, but it is very likely that this was the home of of a couple of Jesus' disciples who were brothers. Simon, Peter, and Andrew, it was likely their house. We read about that in chapter 1. They're there. Jesus uh, heals uh, Simon's, uh, uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And this was likely a home base for them when they were in Capernaum uh, uh, and, and, and ministering in Galilee. And we know in, earlier in, in Mark's gospel that Jesus has, had gone, has been going around Galilee, this region, announcing that the time had come for God to do something big. The time had come for for God to establish his kingdom upon the earth. 
But not only was Jesus announcing the arrival of God's kingdom, he was demonstrating what it looks like, what it looks like when God actually rules and reigns in people's lives and upon the earth. And we see in the story that those who were low are being lifted up, that the sick are being made well, that the tormented are, are being delivered, and the, the unholy are, are being made clean. And this is what it looks like when, when God's kingdom comes. Jesus didn't simply announce it. He, he was demonstrating it. You see, there had been people who had come before Jesus, a number, in fact, who came announcing that God's kingdom was at hand, historical figures. And all of them had, had promised to set up and establish God's kingdom upon the earth. And they promised to do this through military power, through, through might, through force, but every single one of them failed, and every single one since. But when Jesus came, in, came announcing the reign and the rule of God upon the earth, something different happened. People came alive. They came alive in a way that, that they had never been alive before. Elsewhere, in, in, Jesus describes it this way in John 10.10. 10. He says, I have come so that you could have life. God's life, and that you'd be overflowing with it. This is my paraphrase of John 10. Maybe you've, you've memorized it in a different way, but this is the, the NKJ version, the New Keith James version. <laughs> Jesus says, I've, I've come so that you might have life, but not just any life, not living and breathing, but the very Zoe life of God in you, and be overflowing with it. It's what the kingdom come looks like. And so Jesus has gone around Galilee and he's been, been not simply announcing but, but demonstrating the kingdom of God upon the earth. And so he comes back to Peter and Andrew's house after all of this and it's no wonder that a crowd is formed, right? People have heard, they, they, they want a piece of this life, they, they want a part of the kingdom. And so the house is full, the, the courtyard is full, people are outside, they're straining just to catch a word of this full and abundant life. And as Jesus was preaching his gospel, four men carry their paralyzed friend up to the roof. And now there was no room in the house, of course, and, and roofs were easily accessible in the day. There typically were stairs up the side of the house. And so they carry this man up to the roof, and we're told that they dig a hole in it, likely an area that would have been covered by, by uh, thatched branches and palm leaves, and, and they lower their friend on a mat to the feet of Jesus. Now, the text doesn't tell us anything about the paralyzed man. We don't know if he, he was born unable to walk. We, we don't know if he had an accident or, or some kind of sickness. All we know is that he had friends who were willing to do whatever it took to bring him to Jesus. Church, do you have friends like that? Do you have people in your life that bring you to Jesus? People who do the hard work of carrying you and, and your needs to Jesus in prayer. Friends who, when you're down and out, lift you to him. Friends who, when you're distracted and, and wandering, point you back to him. 
Friends who, when you're tangled in sin, bring you straight to the feet of Christ. See, the story is, is most certainly about, about this paralyzed man and Jesus. It's, it's about a man receiving the life of heaven straight from the hand of Jesus. But don't miss this church. The man would have never been close enough to Christ to receive the, that life without the help of his friends. And we all need friends like that. People who, who carry us to Jesus. See, one of the great threats to a vibrant Christian faith today is this idea that following Jesus is something that we can do on our own. A solo endeavor. Something that we can do in the solitude of our, our living room simply by reading the Bible or, or watching a church service. Or something that we can do on our own in a solitary spiritual moment on a hike in the woods. And now, these are good things. They're, they're great things. They're, they're places where we meet with Jesus, but they are not the extent of what Jesus had in mind when he said, follow me. Because following Jesus is, is something God's people do together. Said another way, when we follow Jesus, he always leads us into the lives of other people. Always. We need them. And they need us. It's where following Jesus leads us. To people. And so, who's carrying your mat? Who are your spiritual friends? Who are the people that carry you and point you to Jesus? And perhaps there are some of us in the room that, that aren't able to answer that question. And I wonder if this is the one thing that God wants you to take action on this morning, that this is the one thing for you to hear. It's time to find people, not simply friends but spiritual friends, godly people who will pray for you and point you to Jesus over and over and over again, people to carry your mat. And the question is, how, how can we go about finding our people? Well, let me suggest this to you. It starts with this. Why don't you, you go and start carrying someone else's mat? That over this next week and and the weeks that follow, be intentional with someone in your life. Reach out to them. Pray for them. Serve them. Point them to Jesus. Because when you carry someone else's mat, they might just carry yours too. And so these people, they lower their friend through the roof to Jesus' feet. Verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. What? <laughs> and Jesus does have a way of saying surprising things in, 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 in odd times, doesn't he? We, we know that. We, we see that in virtually every story. Your sins are forgiven? What on earth is Jesus getting at here? I mean, certainly the man and his friends didn't go to all of this effort to hear Jesus speak those words. 
I mean, sin isn't the presenting symptom, Jesus. The man cannot walk. He's not asking for absolution. He's asking to walk again. And I've often wondered when, I, when I've heard this story, if the man was deeply disappointed in that moment. He came to Jesus for one thing, but, but what he got was something different, something totally unexpected. And that's often the way it goes for us when we follow Jesus, I think, especially when, when we're starting out in our journey of faith, that we come to him asking for something, but he doesn't seem too concerned to give us what we're asking for. And I wonder if this has been your story, that we ask for one thing, but he gives us something different, or we ask for something and he seems totally disinterested in what we're asking for, silent even. I remember when our daughter, Sophia, was, was born, uh, not, not our daughter, but the daughter I have with my wife. Uh, it's funny how the English language works. I remember when my daughter, Sophia, was born, she, she was an angel. She still is, most of the time. And she was an angel as a baby, except for one thing. It was the fact that she woke up at 5 a.m. in the morning, every morning. <laughs> and maybe some of your parents are in this zone right now. And here's the thing. I'm not a morning person. I'm just going to say that right out. This was torture for me, the 5 a.m. wake-up call. And on the mornings that, that I was uh, with Sophia, I, I would hold her in my arms, sitting in the rocking chair with the lights turned off, just praying to God, God, please put this child to sleep again. Jesus, I know you're a mighty, mighty miracle-working God, and I would literally, I would pray, God, take your finger, put it on her forehead, and just put her to sleep. That's kind of how I pictured it would work, right? It kind of makes sense, right? When you're paying for something, Jesus does this and it works. <laughs> and this was my honest prayer over and over again, day after day after day after day after day, until one day as, as I was praying, I heard Jesus whisper. He said, Keith, I'm not answering yes to your prayer. So why do you keep praying it? You're missing the gift I have for you a divine moment with your daughter. Enjoy it while it lasts. I wanted sleep more than anything, but God wanted something different. God actually wanted something better. He wanted something more sacred, something deeper, something more important. And church, what if the thing that you want most from God isn't the thing that you need most from Him? Or what if the thing that you're asking for him over and over again isn't what he intends for you in that moment because he has something else in mind, something more sacred? Maybe you've been praying for a new opportunity. Or maybe it's a promotion or, or for finances. Or, or perhaps it's a relationship that you're crying out to God for and church, all of these things are good things. They're, they're things that align with the heart of God. But, but what if the thing that you're asking for isn't what you most need from the Lord in this moment of your life? Even your health. 
What if Jesus has something else in mind at this point of time in your life? That's a difficult thought. Most of us have no idea how difficult life was for the man in the story. We have no idea. Most of us have no idea how many times he cried out to God for help, for healing. Uh, I suspect that there were nights when, when he would lie awake and he would be angry with God for his situation in life. And so in that moment at the feet of the miracle-working Jesus, I can imagine he might have been a little disappointed to hear the words, Son, your sins are forgiven. And what on earth is going on here? Consider this, church. The man came to Jesus for a miracle a new start. He came to be made whole. Could it be that these are the things he actually received in that moment? The miracle of forgiveness? A new start? A broken soul that was made whole with God again? As hard as it is for us to see, Jesus here is pointing to a deeper prognosis than the man's paralysis. He's saying the thing that's keeping you from the full and abundant life of God isn't the condition of your body, it's the condition of your soul. And without sounding flippant, or without sounding insensitive to those who suffer, Jesus is saying something like this. He's saying, a person can have a broken body, but be whole in the Lord. And the opposite is also true, that, that a person can have a whole body, but be broken with the Lord. And so, in effect, Jesus is, is saying that the full and abundant life of God begins in a different place. It begins with the soul that is made right with God. Here is your miracle. Here is your new start. Here is, is the source of a human being made whole. And it comes with the words that Jesus speaks and says, My child, your sins are forgiven. And I wonder if you need a miracle today. A fresh start to be made whole have a weight that you feel in your life lifted. I don't want us to miss this. If Jesus had healed the man in that moment, the man would have missed out on the abundant life of God. Because if Jesus were to have given the man what he wanted more than anything else in the world in that moment, the man would have walked away with a whole body, but still be broken in his soul. And so Jesus looks deep into this, the most important thing, the man's soul, and he speaks the word, Son, your sins are forgiven. If anyone wants in on the full and abundant life of God, they need Jesus to do the same for them. I need Jesus to do the same for me. 
And with the mention of forgiveness, immediately these skeptical ears in the house were pricked. Verse 7, it says, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but, but God alone? The people in the house, uh, uh, some of them, they, they raise a good question, I, I think. And the question is, who, who has the authority to forgive our sins? Who, who has the power to relieve us of the debt and the weight that we feel when we sin? And for the Pharisees, the answer was, well, God alone, of course. Sins are dealt with by God at the temple through, through sacrifices and, and burnt offerings. And so, in the house that day, the question of forgiveness is raised. Who can forgive sins? And where do we go to make amends for the things that we have done wrong? Playwright Michael Christopher wrote a play called The Black Angel, the year that I was born, in 1978. I'll let you do the math. And in the play, it's a story of of a Nazi war criminal named Engel, who after 30 years in prison, uh, doing time for his crimes against humanity, after 30 years, he got out and tried to, to make a new life, a new beginning for himself and his wife in a small village in France. And as Engel set out on this new life, he, he, was, he was met by a, a French journalist by the name of Moreau. And now, Moreau's family had been massacred in the war by Engel and his armies, and so he had a bone to pick. In fact, Moreau had waited over 30 years while Engel was in prison in order to exact his justice for the crimes that he had committed. And so Moreau went into the village where Engel began his new life, and, and he began to stoke up fear and hatred among the villagers by telling him all the crimes that this criminal had committed. And so together they came up with this plan to go to the cabin at night and exact their justice on Engel and his wife by killing them both and burning down the cabin. But before the mob set out that day, Moreau decided in his mind he wanted to go to the cabin himself to make Engel answer for his crimes in person. And so Moreau went and he probed Engel's story all afternoon, asking him questions. And as he explored Engel's soul, Moreau's own soul began to change. Revenge began to taste sour in his mouth, and he changed his mind. And so he told the war criminal, they're going to come to you tonight, and they're surely going to kill you. Come with me, I will save your life. I can get you out of here. There was a long pause before Engel finally answered. And he said to Moro, I will go with you on one condition. What's the condition? Moro asked. That you forgive me, he said. No, no. Save you, I will. Forgive you, I cannot. Never. And that night, the mob of villagers came. They burned the cabin to the ground and shot Engel and his wife dead. End scene. (laughs) End of play. Curtain call. 
And all of those in the theater audience were left stunned. They were left gasping for answers to the question of forgiveness. Can a person ever truly live under the weight of their guilt? And who can we turn to for forgiveness? Who has authority to give it? And when a person is unwilling to forgive you, then who can release us from the burden of guilt? Now, none of us are, are, are war criminals like Engel, but we, all face, we are all faced with the same problem, that there are stains on our soul that we are unable to cleanse ourselves, that we violated the sacred, the divine, and we've caused harm to God's image and, and those who bear his image in the world. How have we caused harm and, and, and how have we stained our soul? Through gossip and slander and selfishness and greed. We've turned our eyes to evil things. We've acted with neglect. We've neglected people in need. We've, 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 we've acted with neglect toward the creation that God has entrusted to our care. We've said no to God and His holy way, and it's stained our soul. And sometimes we can take these stains to the people we've hurt, and we can, we can ask them for forgiveness, and, and that's important. It's good, but sometimes that's not enough to make us clean. I remember speaking with a man who, whose father had died, and, and the man wept as he, he told me how the last words he spoke to his dad were, were hurtful words. And all he wanted now was the opportunity to say that he was sorry, to ask his father for forgiveness. I mean, who has the authority to forgive this man's sins now that his father is gone? Or what about when, when we've wronged someone and, and we truly are, are, are sorry, we're repentant, but they're unwilling to forgive? Who, who has the authority to forgive then? And who has the authority to forgive our trespasses against the holy God? Certainly no person on earth has that kind of authority. And the truth is that we are all like Engel in the story by degrees. We carry a weight of guilt, and only when we are forgiven can we truly live free. Can we truly be alive? And I wonder, do you see the stains in your own soul? Some people see them immediately. They're plagued by them, weighed down by them. But others dismiss it. They, they like to think they're not there or, or, or have learned to live with their stains like they're no big deal. But the truth of the matter is, we all live with the myriad of stains that sin causes. And we need to ask ourselves, who, really, who has the authority to set us free? Who can make us right with God again? Who can heal a person in the deepest part of their soul? Verses 9 to 12, Jesus said to them, which is easier to say? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? 
But I want you to know this. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Do you see? Jesus is answering the question. Who can forgive our sins? Who has the power and the authority to heal us from the inside out? Who has the authority to free us from death and bring new and abundant life into our soul? It's Jesus. Only Jesus. This is the true miracle in the passage. It's the miracle of forgiveness. We no longer need to live under the weight of our guilt. Do we deserve forgiveness? Of course not. Does a person like Engel deserve forgiveness? Of course not. But that's the thing about forgiveness. It cannot be earned. It is always, always a gift. Forgiveness isn't a matter of saying, it's okay, it, it doesn't matter what you did. Because there's always a cost to forgiveness. Someone always pays a debt with forgiveness. For instance, if, if you take my car this afternoon for a joyride and, and you crash it, I'll warn you, it doesn't go over 60 kilometers an hour, but if you take my car and you crash it, and I say to you, it's okay, I, I forgive you, I still need to pay the repair bill. There is always a cost to forgiveness. Someone always pays the debt. And Jesus says, I have come to pay your debt. To pay your debt once and for all on the cross and make way for your forgiveness. Friends, the good news that Jesus was preaching in that moment is the good news that he is preaching in this moment, and it's this. We don't need to go into our grave buried under the weight of our sin. Jesus has authority to forgive, to set you free, to fill you with the full and abundant life of God. You simply need to bring your stained self into his presence and let him look deep into your soul and say, my child, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. As we pray, I, I want to invite you into something that maybe you're unfamiliar with, but I just invite you to turn on your prayer imagination. And I want to, you to imagine yourself on a mat at the feet of Jesus. And I want you to imagine that Jesus looks you straight in the eye. Can you picture his face? And that he's looking so intently in your eye that, that, that it's like he's seeing right into your soul. And I want you to picture in that moment that Jesus is looking straight into your soul and he sees everything that's there. The good, the bad, the ugly the pure and the impure, the stains of your sin. And staring into your soul, 
the one with authority says to you, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now it's time to walk. Jesus, we want the full and abundant life that you have to give us. And we pray, Jesus, that you would do the deep work in our soul so that we can learn to walk again and follow you in this world for your glory, we pray. Amen.